Welcome back to Episode 8 of the Discovering the Male Mysteries podcast. It's certainly magic to be back. It's been about three years since my last podcast, and a lot has happened in that time. You may recall that my dad had passed away not long before this podcast went on hiatus. Since then, my mom has remarried, my sister is in the midst of a divorce, I took some college classes, and then I bought a house which I'm spending a lot of time fixing up, and my job has continued to be crazy busy. I plan to continue with these podcasts, but there are going to be a few changes. I'm going to be doing shorter shows, and these are going to be produced when I have the time to devote to them. So there's not going to be any set schedule of when the next podcast will come out. Not that there ever really was one. I do hope to return to some of the topics I had planned to go into before, but not necessarily right away. In addition to the podcast, I do have a blog which may or may not be updated on a regular basis. You can find the blog link on my main show website at http colon backslash backslash m-e-l-m-y-s-t-e-r-y dot m-a-t-r-i-x w-e-r-x dot com. That's http colon backslash backslash melmystery dot matrixworks dot com. I also recently created an online store site. You can find the link to that on my main show website as well. In the store, I currently have an e-booklet that's an introduction to GLBT paganism, including where GLBT pagans fit into the various pagan paths and what groups are out there for GLBT pagans. I'm also in the process of writing an e-book on rites of passage for gay and bisexual men that I hope to be available soon. There's a free-to-download brochure on GLBT paganism, too. You can choose the one that advertises this podcast or select one with space for you to include information on your own group or cause, if you have one. Besides the e-books, I have some of my photography prints available to purchase, either as prints or as digital download. So please take a moment to check these out, either now or when you finish listening to this show. In today's show, I'm going to share some fairly recent emails I've received about the podcast, talk about the Inuit creation story that features a male homosexual relationship and transgenderism, and I'm going to re- review the book Gay Witchcraft by Christopher Penzak, as well as the recent movie Oz the Great and Powerful. Many gay and bisexual men, dissatisfied with modern religions that struggle to accept and condone us, are hearing the call of the old gods, those gods and religions of antiquity that embraced us and recognized our inherent spirituality. While modern religions debate our worth as lovers, as priests, as sexual beings, the old gods and the old religions embraced us as sacred. We were their shamans, their priests, the intermediaries between the gods and mankind. Many of the gods themselves were homosexual, bisexual, or transgendered. These gods were untamed, vibrant, and sexual. Accept their call and their healing embrace. These are the Male Mysteries, and I'm your host, Mel Mystery. I've received some letters about the podcast in the past several months. I have an email from Julian from February 2013. Julian writes, Hi Mel, I stumbled across your site recently and enjoyed some of the information you have on it. I was wondering if you would be willing to add our link to your links of interest to GLBT pagans. Here's the info. Kofnia, http colon backslash backslash www 
www.copahnia.org. That's http colon backslash backslash www.copahnia.org. Held over five magical days in the beautiful hills of southeastern Indiana at a private clothing optional campground, Kafnia is an event dedicated to gay, bisexual, queer, and questioning men who follow alternate paths of spirituality such as paganism, Wicca, Thelema, ceremonial magic, druidism, heathenry, shamanism, and more. The theme for Kafnia 2013 is Ecstasis. Our event features performers, workshops, rituals, social events, and nightly bonfires for drumming and dancing. By connecting with each other as a community of men who love men, we'll explore our unique place in the cosmos and make magic together. Thank you. Well, Julian, I'll do you one better. I added your link to my podcast page, and I'm also giving you publicity within the podcast. As a side note to listeners, Kafnia takes place from August 7th to August 11th, 2013, in French Lick, Indiana. I've been corresponding with Julian and hope to highlight this event in a future podcast. I also have an email from Joe from January 2013. Joe writes, Listen to the available podcasts. Thank you. Curious, though, why you never ask anyone about the pronunciation of gods, etc. I listen to all your podcasts now. Stop reading. Your notes should be just that. Notes. Refer to them. Fine. Read them verbatim in a podcast. Obvious. Well, Joe, thank you for your comments and constructive criticism. To answer your first question about pronunciation, I do try to look up pronunciations when I can, but not all pronunciations are easy to find, especially when it comes to archaic terms and names. And there isn't really a hotline where I can call and ask how to pronounce these. For example, in today's podcast, I'll be trying to pronounce two Inuit names. I really don't even know anyone who speaks the Inuit language or who I'd call to ask. When all is said and done, I even get tongue-twisted over some English words, so I'm not sure that knowing the proper pronunciation will help especially when trying to pronounce all the subtle nuances of another language. Unfortunately, I'm not a linguist, so I do the best I can. As for your second comment about me reading my podcast, I'll be the first to admit that my public speaking skills could use some work, and I'm not at all good at expert, uh, expert, extra, extemporaneous speaking. Uh, see, I even have trouble pronouncing big English words. My strong point is writing and not impromptu speaking. As I mentioned while introducing my first podcast, I'm an extreme introvert and not as witty as some. As an introvert and as someone new to podcasting, I hope you'll forgive my stuttering over a word here and there, as well as the quality of the podcast. Hopefully in time, experience will make me better at both. Anyway, like I said, you know, I, I do the best I can, I'll, and hopefully experience will make me better. Some anti-gay Christians say that God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. But one of the Inuit creation stories involves a male couple and transgenderism. I found this in Castle's Encyclopedia of Queer Myth, Symbol, and Spirit. Unfortunately, the story given is brief, only giving the major events, and it doesn't cite source materials. I was not able to find much on the story through online searching either, 
So I'm going to reimagine the story, taking a bit of creative license here and there. Well, in the beginning, there was no life. The Earth was forming. Boom! The Earth shivered from earthquakes, mountains forming, oceans boiling, All's quiet. A little pool of water forms. In that pool, two tiny amoeba, the star of life. Okay, so that was Bugs Bunny's creation theory. Here's the Inuit creation myth. In the beginning, the gods created all that there is. They created the land, the sky, and sea, and all the creatures that inhabited these realms, and it was good. Seeing their creation, the gods felt that it would be nice if it were inhabited with creatures similar to themselves. So the gods created the first two human men, uh, Akuujuusi and Umar Nituk. I'm going to call them simply Akul and Umar. Akul and Umar lived on the beautiful island of Iglulik. They enjoyed their lives, but they were alone in the world. They saw how there were many animals, birds, and fish in the world, but only two humans. They desired the company of other humans, and they desired each other. Following the examples of the animals they shared the land with, Akul and Umar made it. I'm guessing they made it a lot. In the process, Umar miraculously became pregnant. As the, as the pregnancy went on, it became obvious that Umar didn't have the right equipment to give birth, and they didn't know about C-sections back in those days. Desperate, Akul chanted a spell that changed Umar from a man to a woman. Akul gave birth to a boy whom the Inuit race but traced their descent. At the time, neither war nor death existed, and the human population increased steadily. The gods and spirits feared that the earth would be overrun with humans and might be destroyed. In order to appease the gods' fears, Umar, now an elder crone figure, chanted a spell that now there should be death and now there should be war. Akul tried to stop his mate from chanting the spell, but it was too late and the fate of humankind was forever sealed. Now war and death existed in the world. Akul did, however, find a loophole to preserve the continuance of human souls. Human bodies would die, but human souls would reincarnate and thus keep their previous immortality. Siberian shore and we mittens held fast across the ice covered floor 
Today, I'll be reviewing the book Gay Witchcraft, Empowering the Tribe by Christopher Penzack. I read the book several months ago, and I just reread it so I could write this review with it fresh in my mind. Christopher Penzack is the author of several books on Wicca and witchcraft, and he writes this book from his own perspective as a gay man who grew up Catholic and whose path led him to Wicca. He claims the book is a manual on Wicca through the eyes of a gay man. The book itself is gay positive and mimics the introduction to my own podcast that GLBT people have a rich spiritual heritage in ancient pagan religions that accepted us as special and didn't just tolerate our existence. Pinsack weaves a history of witchcraft, magic, and paganism that includes gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered people and movements within the craft. He shows the greater acceptance of alternative sexualities within paganism that isn't found in mainstream religions but he is careful to indicate areas within Wicca and Paganism that might not be so open-minded. Among these are a focus on male-female polarity and some Wiccan paths, though Penzak is quick to point out to everyone that GLBT folks especially are a blending of masculine and feminine energies. He also observes that lack of the procreative aspect of sexuality and the responsibilities of raising children allows homosexuals to turn these energies inward to magical, spiritual, and creative pursuits and creations, including art, music, theater, and so forth. This sentiment has been proposed before by such persons as the Greek philosopher Plato, as well as the early 20th century occultist Alistair Crowley. The book does an excellent job of providing a comprehensive overview of Wicca. Penzak includes information on creating magic circles and performing spells, making altars, being a priest or priestess, the wheel of the year, the chakras, animal totems, candles, charms, potions, 
love, lust, and sex magic, and even rites of passage. He also does an excellent job of providing comprehensive information about gods, goddesses, and mythological figures who were homosexual, bisexual, and transgendered, or who were attended to by homosexual or transgendered priests, or sometimes sacred prostitutes. He provides an overview of animal totems, plants, crystals, and stones, and offers GLBT associations to these where applicable. He also provides some mythology related to same-sex imagery within the Wheel of the Year, including an alternative interpretation of the Oak and Holly King story, where the conquest of one over the other is not a mortal battle, but a sexual conquest. Where I felt the book needed some work was integrating and merging DLBT mythology and ancient spiritual practices into today's Wicca. I read the book twice, and both times I felt let down after reading it. I wanted to hear more about how modern GLBT Wiccans and possibly even other pagan paths are integrating our rich spiritual and mythological heritage into a unique and creative expression of ourselves today. I wanted to see GLBT specific ceremonies and spells and hear about how people are incorporating GLBT myth, symbolism, and imagery into their spiritual practices. I know there are people out there doing these things because I'm on mailing lists and discussion boards and I get invited to events and conferences where these types of things are taking place. Pinzak's answer to integrating his gayness with his magical practice is to insert the name of GLBT gods and goddesses into the quarter calls and substitute their names in the part of the ceremony honoring the god or the goddess. He unfailingly provided more or less the same formula for everything from spells to rites of passage. Pick a god or goddess and insert name here. I felt this somehow failed to draw on the deeper spirituality and symbolism involved. Similarly, most of the spells he offered were generic spells that could be used by anyone regardless of sexual orientation. For example, his love potion, he didn't even call it a gay love spell, is a generic love potion with a little bit of hyacinth and patchouli added and mentioned as an afterthought. It would have been nice if he had alluded to the Apollo hyacinth myth at this point to say why he added the hyacinth. Overall, this is a great primer for someone who is gay, lesbian, or bisexual, or transgendered, just starting out on the path of Wicca. And despite my criticism, it is an interesting read for those who are already involved in Wicca or paganism, though it may not provide you with much information you don't already know. What a wacky witch! Since some of my last episodes were about rainbows, and since The Wizard of Oz is an iconic film for GLBT folks, I thought I'd include a review of the movie Oz the Great and Powerful. I have to say that I was and have been mesmerized by the movie. While it probably has more to do with how snazzy James Franco looks in a suit and top hat, I also felt inspired by the message that whether or not you are a real wizard, sometimes all it takes is a little bit of illusion to succeed. There were many nods to the original Wizard of Oz. The film started out in black and white and then turned color once we got to Oz. Some of the characters that Oscar Diggs, uh, otherwise known as the Wizard, met along the way were based on people he knew before he left Kansas, and we find out why the Wicked Witch of the West is green, has a pointed hat, and rides a broom. It was also fun to see how the Wizard became the man behind the curtain. The storyline is a bit flat, but probably not much more than the original Wizard of Oz was when compared to movies of today. The visual effects were stunning though, especially in the 3D version. That's all I'm going to say on this movie. If you haven't watched it, you should consider watching it at least once, and I hear that there's the possibility of a sequel. Everything, everything, that's all, folks. 
Thanks for listening to the Discovering the Male Mysteries podcast. I'm your host, Mel Mystery. You can find out more about the show, including links to my blog and store site at http colon backslash backslash m-e-l-m-y-s-t-e-r-y dot m-a-t-r-i-x w-e-r-x dot com. That's http colon backslash backslash melmystery dot matrixworks dot com. If you would like to submit original poetry or music, suggest a topic, guest host a segment, or share information relevant to listeners, you can find more information on how to do so, including my email address on the Mail Mysteries website. Thanks for listening. Oh, carrots are divine. You get a dozen for a dime. It's magic. They fry a song begins. They roast and I hear violins. It's magic. Why do I kid myself? Other loves that I have are all really few. When in my heart I know the magic is my love for you.